Hello and welcome to the Edinburgh International Book Festival. I'm Francesca and I'd just like to thank you all very much for coming along here today. I know that I'm genuinely overwhelmed with excitement to be introducing this author. She's one of the funniest and most entertaining authors writing about teenagers ever, I think. And I think I can tell that you all pretty much feel the same. It's also quite a sad day here at the book festival because we've now come to the 10th and final instalment of the adventures about the Ace Gang. I'm quite sad about it, but I hope this author is gonna make us feel a little bit better in a couple of seconds time. Let's give a big warm Och Island welcome to Louise Renison. Hello. Oh gosh, can you hear me? Because I've got a very, very quiet voice as you all know. Has anybody been to see me before? Where have the rest of you been? <laughs> Couldn't be bothered. And, but these very, very clever people you've been before, have you? Still not bored? I am. No, I'm not really <laughs> bored of this. Do you know what I was going to do? This is so terrible. This is why I'm a bit flustered. I was just sitting out in the yurt, um, and I thought, oh, I, I wanted to read something out to you. So I looked for my glasses and realised I hadn't got them. They were back in my hotel. So I've just had to run across the road up five flights of steps to get these. And do you know what I was going to say? I was going to be really angry because it says in the brochure, have you seen it about me? It says, the splendidly wild Louise Renison shares the final diary instalment, blah, blah, blah. And then it said, uh, get, get tickets to see Fabity Fab Louise, uh, much her wisdomosity and her trademark looniness. And I thought, how bloody rude is that? So I was going to read it to you. And then I went, Where's my glasses? <laughs> I had to go running off to get them. And the other thing that occurs to me is I'm staying with my friend Scottish Jo. I can't see if she's in here. Hey, oh, hello. <laughs> and Jo, I forgot, again, I forgot my um, gym things, trousers. And so I said to Jo, have you got any gym trousers I could borrow? And she said, yeah, I've got these ones, they're nice. And they weren't. They were like, she's a bit shorter than me anyway, but they were like kind of loony trousers. They were flared and they came to about there. And I just looked like a half-wit person. So I said to her, well, I'll have to get some more. So I went into this shop, and there's a really good-looking bloke serving me. And it was a triathlon. I'd, want, I'd gone into a triathlon shop by mistake. <laughs> and he said, oh, what are you looking for? And I said, oh, you know, just some gym trousers, something like that. And he was getting, he was talking to me in that. And in the end, look what I, f I ended up buying, just because I was too embarrassed not to. Half-wit loony trousers again, they cost me 60 quid. But I just couldn't, I couldn't say no to him. Anyway, so if you're expecting maturiosity, forget it. How many of you read um, the last book? Oh, not some of you haven't, so I'll have to be a bit careful. Did you like it? How many of you have seen the film? Oh, wow, that's quite a lot. Did you like that? I've had to really change my mind about it because at first, I, when I first started going around, you know, because I didn't write it, so I had a bit of a nervous drop about that and ignored everybody. Um, and, uh, but then when I started going around the country, I was saying to the girls, you know, did you like the film? Thinking they'd say, no, it wasn't half as good as your books. And they all went, yeah, it's really brilliant. So now I have to go, yeah, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, you know Alan Davies in the film? He plays the dad. He's actually a really old friend of mine. And, um, they came down to Brighton to film, and I was still having a bit of a strop with the film, you know, ignoring it and everything. And he texted me and he said, hello, it's your farty here. 
you know, because the books are all about me. Well, I'll tell you about that, but they're all about me. Um, and he said, I'm just around the corner in the street in, near where I live in Brighton, and um, we're filming, and I'm, I've got a ginger beard, and I'm wearing those really huge dad pants that come right up to you uh, under your armpits. So he knew I wouldn't be able to resist. So I went around there, and they were filming the scene where Georgia goes off to New Zealand. Do you remember that bit? So there's the dad's getting in the car, and there's Georgia and her mum and Libby and Angus the cat outside. And it was really weird, because that actually happened to me. I actually went to New Zealand and, um, you know, all that stuff. My dad went to New Zealand. So I thought, well, I better phone my mum, because it's such an opportunity. And she came up, and we, we both were watching this um, scene. And my mother was saying to me, she was a bit Irish, she was saying, look, Louise, the thing is, you know, that um, uh, the books are going to go on forever. And this is just a silly film, you know. Nobody will remember this film. And then she looked across and she saw the woman who was playing her. It was quite nice and attractive and curvy. And she went, oh, that's very good casting. <laughs> no, that is very good. How clever. What a clever group of people this are. What? And the next thing I know, she's off in the mum's house with the other mum. She loved it. She loved the whole thing after that. But I'm going to start at the beginning by saying um, that and another thing my family begged me to do is to say that the books have nothing to do with them. It's all made up, it's completely fictitious, and they don't know what I'm talking about, really. I've just got a very vivid imagination. So, out of respect for my family, I'm here to tell you that the books are entirely based on me and my life and my family. <laughs> Everything that happened in those books happened to me. So, yes, I did go to a party dressed as a stuffed olive. <laughs> I really savagely advise you against it. It's tremendously funny in your room, because it was jazz that... Um, suggested the stuffed olive and we thought it was hilarious we made this um like cage out of that uh, like wire stuff you know that, that bendy wire and then we covered it in crepe paper green crepe paper for the olive thing and then i dyed my head and face and neck red and i wore red tights for the sort of stuffed pimento effect <laughs> and it was really funny in my room we were going, <laughs> and then i tried to get out of my room and i had to sort of go down the stairs sideways and then when I got downstairs, I couldn't get in the car. I couldn't get into Dad's car. So he said, well, take the olive bit off and put it in the boot. And, you, and I said, Dad, if you think I'm sitting next to you dressed in red tights, you're mad. Madder than I thought you were. And he said, well, all right, you get out and walk along really slowly and I'll drive along next to you. And I said, well, what's the point of that? Why can't I just go to the party by myself? And he said, I'm not letting you out at night all by yourself, walking the streets. I said, what am I going to be doing at night? Dressed as a stuffed olive. <laughs> Gate-crashing cocktail parties. <laughs> but he didn't think it was funny. <laughs> but I still call my farty, farty, and he loves it, I like to think. <laughs> and my mutty, mutty. Um, and any of you go to all girls' schools? Do you? Yeah. Quite a few of you, actually. How many girls at your school? Three hundred girls at your school. There was a thousand at mine. I mean, whose idea is that to put a thousand girls under one roof? And do you have any male teachers at your school? Yes. A lot. We have one which gives you that really, you know, pervy glance. She said, "There's one that gives you that really pervy glance," and then she went, "Surely he doesn't do that. <laughs> of course he does not do that. He does not go no." No, you're just making it up. You've got a very vivid imagination. But at my school, <laughs> but I will want to hear about him. What's he called? He's called Dr. Parry. Dr. Parry. Might be my next book. 
Um, we had one um, male teacher, one, in the entire school, who had the double comedy value of being both the only bloke and also German. Now, before I go any further, are there any German people in the audience? Oh, God, you're not, are you? Guten Tag. Are you really German? Oh, that's not the same thing. Half German, that's perfectly acceptable behaviour. I don't want any secret Germans not saying. Because that's what happened. I did a gig at Princess Di's house, actually. <laughs> I did. Um, and uh, there was this two, these two very odd kind of grown-ups in the audience. And they were really not laughing. And also looking a bit annoyed, if you know what I mean. Just there, and I could see them all the way through the gig, just going... Like this. Anyway, and afterwards they disappeared. And this woman and her daughter came up and they were helpless with laughter. Because I'd said in the, you know, I said, are there any Germans in there? And she said, they were Germans. She, she knew because this couple were her neighbours. Not only were they Germans, but they were born again Christians. So they'd been offended on every single level that you could possibly imagine by listening to me. Anyway, so I'm safe. I can get, you'll forgive me. Where was the half German person? There. You'll forgive me everything, won't you? Because you love me. Okay. So, so this, our German teacher was called Herr Kammeyer. Now, the other thing that I did when I wrote the book was um, I used, because I didn't know how to write a book, really, so I used real people's names, you know, just to remind me where I was in the situation and everything. And I thought, oh, well, I'll change them before it gets published. But I forgot. <laughs> so everybody is not only based on a real person, but it's also got their name. So guess what the German teacher at my school was called? Herr Kammeyer. Come on, quickly, girls. We're going to be here all day. How come I? And also, um, the school caretaker. Have you got school caretakers? Are they mad? Yes. yes. They're always mad, aren't they? And they always hate girls, don't they? There's an application form that for the school caretaking job that says, um, uh, are you mad, yes or no? <laughs> Do you hate girls, yes or no? And if you say yes to both of those, then you get the job. Anyway, so Elvis Atwood, guess what he was called in real life? Yes, very good. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to read just a little bit from the first, because what I thought I'd do in a very clever way, because it's the last, you know, last gig, really, was to show you that despite what people say, I have actually matured in my work <laughs> from the first book till now. So I'm going I'm to go to the first book um, and just read a few of my favourite bits. And also, at the end, it'd be really brilliant if you'll... Um, you know, we'll, we'll have some time for questions because it's actually quite good fun for me to, to hear what your mad thoughts are. <laughs> and this is, still remains one of my favourite bits. <laughs> my mum said to me the other day, she said, I was doing this, I was going, <laughs> and she said, Louise, are you still laughing at your own books? <laughs> I am! That is the sadness of it all. Either that or I'm a comic genius. <laughs> anyway, we had Herr Kammer not only for German. I used to live for his lessons. I mean, it was the only sort of high spot of school. And on Friday afternoons, we had him for double physics as well. And this is my bit. This is a bit I like. <laughs> so rude, isn't it, to laugh? Home, exhausted from laughing. My ribs hurt. Slim, he, she was our um, headmistress. She was 36 stone. That's why we called her Slim. But it was in a kind and caring way. But she was so incredibly fat that you couldn't actually see her shoes. You could hear the little clack of the heels underneath these enormous sort of fat feet. <laughs> 
Anyway, Slim has made me be on cloakroom duty for the next term, but I don't care. It was worth it. Well, here's what happened. It was during double physics, and it was just one of those afternoons when you can't stop laughing, and you feel a bit hysterical. For most of the lesson, I'd been yelling, Yavol, Herr Commandant! And clicking my heels together, every time Herr Kammeyer asked if we understood what he'd been explaining. <laughs> we were doing... He's he had a nervous breakdown, I believe. <laughs> it's hard to tell in Germans, isn't it, really? <laughs> we were doing the molecular structure of atoms and how they vibrate. Herr Kammeyer was illustrating his point with the aid of some billiard balls on a tea towel on his desk. It was giving me the giggles anyway, and then I put my hand up because I thought of a good joke. <laughs> That's what I used to do, just think of jokes. I put my hand up with a finger pointing forward, you know, like in Who Ate All the Pies? You fat person. <laughs> like they do at football matches. Or sometimes, if I had a lot of excess teenage girlish high spirits, I might do my impression of a lockjaw jam. That is a very good impression of a lockjaw jam. Not, not with a skirt on. They don't make that much effort. Anyway, I thought of this joke, so I put my hand up. <laughs> and when Herr Kammeyer said, yes, I said, Herr Kammeyer, what part does the tea towel play in the molecular structure of atoms? And that is when Herr Kammeyer made his fateful mistake. He said, ah, no, I merely use the tea towel to keep my balls still. <laughs> it was pandemonium. I could not stop laughing. You know when you really, really should stop laughing because you'll get into dreadful trouble if you don't, but you still can't stop? Well, I had that. I had to be practically carried to Slim's office. Outside her office, I did my best to get a grip, and I thought I'd just about stopped and was under control when I knocked on the door and she said, Come! <laughs> In my head, I was thinking, Please, please, don't ask me anything about it. Just let it go, Slim. Please talk about something else. Just don't ask me about it, please. Slim was all trembly and jelloid. Can you tell me, Georgia, what is quite so amusing about Herr Kamaya's experiment on the vibration of atoms? I tried. God knows I tried. I said, well, Miss Simpson, it, it, it's just to use a tea towel. <laughs> use the tea towel. Yes! Well, he used the tea towel to keep his ball still, and then it was off again. Bloody funny, though. Actually, I was saying, I was saying to, um, you know, people ask me if I still, I'm so tremendously hot, I can't tell you, I might have to lie down and talk to you. I really scampered up those steps. You should be so grateful, but you're not. Anyway, what's I saying? Oh, yes, I was talking to Rosie, my ace gang. Um, I still see them and they all do exist. And yes, she did have a boyfriend called Sven and I still don't know where he was from. But yes, he did have, uh, he had those loons that lit up. He had kind of um, electric light bulbs or something in the seams <laughs> of his trousers and a battery in his pocket and they all lit up. Happy days. Anyway, where was I? Oh yes, Rosie. And I was saying, I was saying to Rosie about, um, you know, her come I? And I said, oh, yeah, I feel a bit bad about him really. And she said, oh, shut up, it was really funny. And she said, do you remember when we went um, on a, an excursion? We didn't used to go skiing or anything. We used to go look at escarpments in the Lake District on a train. That was our idea of a, a school trip. And Herr Kamai was in charge of this school trip. And we got on the train, and it was one of those old-fashioned, you know, um, slam door trains with a, a door on each side that you just open. And we got to Ulverston. 
And here, here come her, leapt to his feet and he said, Ah, here they are, girls, really enthusiastically, opened the door on the wrong side of the train and just disappeared <laughs> off into the track. <laughs> we just went. We were going... <laughs> And then, of course, we couldn't help him up. He tried to scrabble up for ages, but we were laughing too much to get him in again. Could have been killed. <laughs> and do you know what? The funny thing is, I am quite rude about the Germans, but it's, it's an, yeah, they ask for it. It's a comedy language, isn't it, really? Don't you think? And also, do any of you take German? You're living my life, aren't you? Yeah, there's quite a few of you. What's the point, really? You know what I'm saying? And also, in our textbook, Keep in mind that somebody had written this textbook knowing that it was going to be read by teenagers. The family that they had in the textbook could have been called Schwarz, Schmidt, anything, couldn't it? But no, they were called the Koch family. <laughs> well, I think that's just asking for it, really. And the Cocks were obsessed with camping and also Spangleferkel sausages. <laughs> so I used, to, I used to have a field day with the Cocks. I loved them. <laughs> I used to go... Um, Herr Kammeyer, when the cocks go out, is it just the small cocks that come out and the bigger cocks stay in? <laughs> and I could go on for hours like this, thinking of cock things. Eventually, Herr Kammeyer, in sheer desperation, said to us, because we were just helplessly falling around about another cock joke, and he said, what is it with you girls? Don't you have cocks? in England? <laughs> oh, it was so... Honestly, I, I've been helpless with laughter. But anyway... Oh, no, that's not the right one. Um, but despite all that, the German folk love me. They do. They absolutely adore me. I'm number one in uh, Germany. And the book there is called Frontal Knötchen. <laughs> Frontal Knötchen. Doesn't it make you want to go over there and just knutch everybody? <laughs> no, is the answer you're looking for. Anyway, so I thought, you know the scoring system? Have any of you got your own score, snogging system? Secrets that you... We used to have one. Do you remember it from one to ten? Yeah. Anybody with... Nobody with their parents can say anything about this, are they? But we used to use it so particularly my dad wouldn't know what we'd been up to. And it went up to number ten, which was, the, you know, the full Monty. <laughs> and uh, I remember being in the front room with Jazz and the news was on and I, was, I tended to try and ignore my dad and pretend he was invisible as much as I possibly could, unless he was driving me somewhere. And then I used to make him crouch down behind the wheel, like that, <laughs> just peep above it. And he wasn't allowed to say anything to me when I was with my friends. <laughs> so awful. Pretty much like that with him now, actually, as it happens. Anyway, so number ten. And uh, the news was on. I was just talking to Jazz about something. And then it said on the news, and it said, uh, and this evening, the Prime Minister reached number 10. And me and Jazz just went, <laughs> My dad was thinking, what's so amusing about the news? Anyway, so I thought, I'd just remind you of what the, um, the thing, you, what it is, because I don't suppose you've bothered to learn it, have you, any of you? Any of you say it off by heart? No? Yes? You can. No? All right, I'll have to do everything myself, even though I'm terribly tired from going up all those bloody stairs. Don't worry about me. Right, number one is holding hands. Two is arm around. Three is goodnight kiss. Four is a kiss lasting over three minutes without a breath. How do 
does that work? I said to, I said to Jules, how did that work? How did you know it was three minutes? And she, I said, did you have like a sad mate who had a watch but no boyfriend that sat next to you? And she said, no, Lou, you used to do it yourself. So I had my watch on the right hand and I used to put my watch behind the bloke's head. Just have a little peek though. Number four. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say no, I wouldn't be able to speak, would I? But I'd indicate in some way. Um, <laughs> right. Number five, open mouth kissing. Six tons. <laughs> Seven, upper body fondling. Outdoors. <laughs> I don't know why. Number eight, upper body fondling indoors. Apparently that's much worse. <laughs> Nine, below waist activity, BWA. And 10, the full Monty. Now, I thought, what are the Germans going to make of that? So I looked it up in their German book. <laughs> I'm so glad, actually, this, because I did this in Brighton. I decided, when I first discovered this scoring system, there was a German. She wasn't half German, like your lovely self. She was full German and quite cross. And uh, as soon as I said frontal nutchen, she said, it is Knutchen. I said, all right, Knutchen, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I wish I had. That would have been excellent, wouldn't it? I must try and trap a German person in here so I can do that. <laughs> Go get one. <laughs> right, number one. Whatever. Number one is Hanschen Halton. Oh, yeah, this is what I was telling you about her. So then I was going to go do this, and I thought, God, I'm going to be here all day, because she'll just correct me the whole way through this scoring system. So I said to her, oh, you come up. You better do it then. You speak your own language. So she came up, and she was going, Hanschen Halton. And then she got to number three, Abscheikus. And the whole of the audience just started falling about. And she was saying to me, what, uh, why is everybody laughing? Abscheidkuss, uh, this is not too funny. And then she said, ah, yes, I see, in Germany we have a joke. And I said, look, I'm only on for half an hour. <laughs> you can't tell a German joke. Because we'd be waiting for the verb. <laughs> you see, that's quite a grammatical joke. You see, I'm showing my sophisticosity now. I'm showing I did actually do German. <laughs> but only for a laugh. Six was Zunkenkuss. Seven is Oberkirpkirknutchen <laughs> im Freien. Eight is Oberkirpkirknutchen drinnen im Bett. <laughs> this is a good one. Number nine is Romachen unter Halbdetaler. That sounds gorgeous, doesn't it? You want me to rush over there and rummage around. <laughs> and ten was Aufgangsigayen. <laughs> so jolly, aren't they? What's the matter with them? Anyway, and then, not content with that, <laughs> um, I found this. Can you see that? How weird is that? I must bring it just because you might not believe how weird it is. I'll show you it later on when you come to me. But it's clearly three... I'm doing this. See, I'm doing interactive theatre now. <laughs> um, can you see that? It's clearly... Three transvestites and a bunch of bananas. Where is that in my book? Where? So I thought, their snogging system's going to be good, whoever they are. And it is. Number one is holdy hand. Three is gotten at kiss. Six is tunkies. That sounds lovely. 
Nine is four handlinger under Belstedet, Og. And ten is Helitoren. <laughs> they sound like lovely people wherever they live. But then at the end of it, I saw in really big letters that slut. <laughs> Do you think that's bloody rude? I've never been to this place. I don't even know where it is. How can they know anything about me? Anyway, some little Norwegian person, or whatever it is, said um, that it means the end. <laughs> so, so I was wrong to take offence. And the other thing is the Americans. Have, oh, I do have to ask this. Are there any lovely American people here? Any hamburger? Oh, nestling at the back. Where are you from? No, no, you're not, darling. <laughs> Nobody says, I'm really from here, and is from here. <laughs> but tell me, go on. Philadelphia is a top place, actually. I've been there. I have been there, and it's, it's a cool place. Well, it isn't cool. It's tremendously hot, actually. <laughs> I could hardly walk down the street. Well, just close your ears, because I'm going to be a bit rude. But you love us, don't you, because you want to stay amongst us. Good girl, you're clever. Um, yeah, so when I, f I wrote my first book, Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging, as I said, I didn't know how to write a book, so I kind of based it all on my family. And I also made stuff up <laughs> about anything. I felt like. and, uh, and it got sold quite quickly in America for quite a lot of money. Really, really a big surprise to me. And um, the American president, not the, but they're always president, nobody's a secretary, they're always vice president or a president or something, of the publishing house there, phoned me up and she said, um, uh, Miss Renison, we love you. Which was nice, because I hadn't ever spoken to her before. And she said, we love you and we think you're a genius. Now that is one thing I do like about the Americans. They're quite sincere. When they, when they mean something, they just tell you, you see. But then I said to her, I said, uh, oh, do you mean I'm like a sort of child, um, a children's Dickens? And she said, who? <laughs> and also, then she said, we love your books, but um, what is snoggling? So I've no idea what snuggling is. Sounds quite nice. I'll give it a go if you like, but I've no idea what you're talking about. And it turned out that they knew next to nothing what I was talking about in any of my books. So I had to write, you know, the glossaries in the back of the book. That's why they started, because they just didn't know huge amounts of things. They didn't know who Rolf Harris was. I, I despair, frankly. <laughs> and, um, or Cliff Richard. Who is it? No, I do know who Lady Cliff Richard is. Don't be stupid. But and so I had to do this thing. And they used to send me lists of words that they didn't understand. Some of them, you know, like bonkers. or And also, because I, you know, I put Rom and Jewel in that. And I said, well, the reason we did that was in England, because we're so very, very busy. We're very busy over here. We don't have time to end words. <laughs> so we say Rom and Jewel. Uh, I wandered lonely as a clud. Mac useless, actually, Mac useless is not short, is it, anyway? So I did this thing, and they sent this list, which was really good for me, because it's a com wonderful comic opportunity. And they, uh, they said uh, they didn't understand what Pratt meant. <laughs> so I said, a Pratt is someone who plays air guitar at concerts or puts both legs down one knicker leg. <laughs> and then the next one was Tosser. <laughs> you can imagine my delight. And I went, hmm. <coughs> a tosser is a special kind of prat, <laughs> otherwise known as a wanker. <laughs> you can write anything you like, 
But they thought clearly that wasn't going to be enough for their American audience, so they put all monkey spanker. How bloody rude and offensive is that? Cheeky minxes, aren't they? And also, I had to change my titles for, for some of the books. The second one, it's okay, I'm wearing really big knickers. They said, uh, no, we can't call it that here because uh, we don't wear knickers in America. And I was thinking, you cheeky minxes in the nutty pants under your clothes. But no, they wear panties. And I said, uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm not having a book of mine called It's Okay, I'm Wearing Really Big Panties. <laughs> it's just not right, is it? It smacks of incontinent knickers, doesn't it? Don't you think? Those big trunks that people wear when they wee-wee themselves. So I said no. And then the next one after that was, um, and that's when it fell off in my hand. And they just went, no, absolutely no, like that. And I was going, why, why, what's wrong, what's wrong? And they went, no. And I said, well, I see. Do you think it's a bit rudy doody? Do you think it's something to do with a boy's trouser snake addenda? And they said, yes, 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 we do. And I said, well, that's stupid, isn't it? How could it be about a boy's penis? If a boy's penis fell off in your hand, that would not be a comedy book, would it? That would be a medical book. But they would not have it. It wouldn't have it. So they changed, I can't even remember what they changed it to, something not half as good. So anyway, so I've had that sort of, you know, language thing with the Americans. And also when I've done, uh, done interviews with them, I did, um, I'm sure I've told some of you girls this before, but I did a, I see it in my memory, I had to do some uh, telephone radio interviews and I, there was somebody down south, you know, in that kind of Bible Belt bit of America where they're quite strict. And she was rather charming. She said that God loved me, which was nice. I liked that. So I said, thank you. And <laughs> he said, uh, we, we like your books very much, uh, Mr. Anderson, but could you tell us um, what are noonga noongas? <laughs> you, you know, when you think, oh no, just step away from the noongas, <laughs> please do I have to explain this? And that, so I had to go through the whole Dave the Laugh thing. Who likes Dave the Laugh? Did you like him in the film? He wasn't as fit as he was meant to be. He had two legs. <laughs> I thought he was rather charming, actually. Yeah, but I know what you mean. But it was hard for me because they all didn't look like I knew anyway, apart from Robbie. No, I'm lying. <laughs> but anyway, so I had to explain about Dave Laugh. And Dave the Laugh is, actually, I'll tell you this as I go along, but I actually pretty much tracked down all of the people in the book, you know, that I used to go to school with and knew then. And guess what happened to the sex god, Robbie? in real life. He married Wet Lindsay. She just went, oh my God, that's it. It's over for me. What's the point of life anymore? It's all so wrong, wrong. No, there is a happy ending though. It's a bit of a silver line because they're terribly unhappy together. <laughs> no, that's, that's, you see what I mean? It all sorts itself out isn't it, in a lovely way. Uh, but the one person I haven't been able to track down is Dave the Laugh yet. Oh, and Mr. Atwood. I'm hoping that Mr. Atwood might have gone to that big caretaking home in the sky <laughs> by now. I do hope he's dead. <laughs> well, he was about 90 when I was at school. Be a bit of a phenomenon. Um, yeah, what was I saying? Oh, Dave the Laugh. Yeah, I haven't been able to find him. I think he might have gone to Africa or something like that. Something exciting. But he was the funniest boy. I, it really genuinely was a terribly funny boy. He used to tell me things, because he went to the boys' school. We had our girls' school, and then we had two boys' schools. 
at either end of where we used to. And do you know, the boys used to do things like um, run into us on their on, into our legs on their bicycles. What is that about? <laughs> what are you going to do? Oh, you've really gorged my legs and everything. Yeah, of course I'll go out with you. Who wouldn't? And then sort of set fire to their farts. You just think, that's really not entrancing behaviour, is it? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and just hit each other all the time for no reason. You know, they don't say hello, do they go, hello, you tosser. <laughs> oh, what? They never say anything nice. <laughs> anyway, um, Dave the Laugh, yeah. And so he used to, he once put a for sale sign on the top of his school. This massive one, you could see it for miles and miles. I think they had a few inquiries. And then, um, and one time they actually, um, they had a little small hole in the, it was not a very thick wall, I think it must have been one of those plasterboard wall things between the classrooms. And they kind of worked away at it, you know, like during classes and things like that, until they made it boy size. And then five of them crawled out the back of one class and went into the at the back of another class. Oh, I think that's terribly good. But the best thing of all he did was, he did this, and I've mentioned it in, the, in this latest book, is that he, they got some weed killer, and they, when they were playing football down on the bottom sports field, they actually <laughs> did the shape of a penis, a massive one, right along. And then as the weed killer worked, it sort of gradually emerged. <laughs> you see this huge thing. I don't know why I think that's so, so funny. I think it's almost genius. <laughs> why would you think of doing that? Anyway, Dave laugh. yeah, back to him. And um, so he used to have all these euphemisms, but he could never just say anything normal. He'd have to say, you know, he used to say, instead of goodbye, he'd say, oh, I'm away laughing on a fast camel. <laughs> or, ooh, I'm just, I'm just gonna go to the piddly diddly department. Oh no, hang on, I tell a lie. It's the poo parlor division. <laughs> Do any of you say that in school? Do you put your hand up? You do! Good girl. You see, people say that I don't help youth. <laughs> and they're so very, very wrong, aren't they? Because you've learnt something lovely for your life. And do your teachers adore it? I bet they do. I bet they think it's cheeky and nice. Don't they? Don't they love me? No. <laughs> anyway, don't love me. So you do all that sort of thing. And um, one day I was by the school gate. And we did have a girl um, called Melanie. I mentioned her a few times because she had the most enormous bazoomers. She did. And they were terribly funny in sports. We'd, we'd just be, you know, on tenterhooks because if she had to run for the ball, whatever it was, like the hockey ball or anything like that, you'd just wait for the kind of momentum of these massive sort of... we think, oh, she's going to crash through the fence. She'll never be able to pull out of this one. <laughs> anyway... She was walking by, and Dave the Laugh said to me, Good grief, look at the size of the nunga-nungas on that girl. And I said, Dave, even I'm a bit baffled how you get to nunga-nungas from bazoomers. How, how does that work? And he went, uh, well, it's quite interesting, really, actually. It's a scientific thing. If you, if you get hold of a girl's um, bazooma and you pull it out, <laughs> and then you let it go, it goes nunga, nunga, nunga. <laughs> I'm just telling you what happened. Anyway, so this is where I found myself with this woman in the Bible belt saying, when she said, what a nunga, nunga is, I started going, oh, well, I've got this friend called Dave the Love. I didn't tell her about the penis thing. I thought I'd leave that out. And that, but then I, when I said, yeah, and if you pull a girl's bazooma out, it goes nunga, nunga, nunga. And it's just like, 
you know, like just that silence that you know is not good. And she went, mm-hmm, mm. Uh, anyway, Mr. Anderson, uh, it's been very nice uh, talking to you, but I just would like to say, now this is another thing about language. In English, you know that fag can mean a sort of slang term for a gay person or a cigarette. Well, it only means a gay person in America. And uh, she said, I notice um, that on page three, you say that Georgia lit up a fag. <laughs> well, over here, we think that's kind of cruel. <laughs> My friend Scottish Joe, bloody sneaking out to another show. I'm going to tell them really intimate things about you now. No, I won't. I won't. I might, if I can remember some. No. We were in a cabaret group called Women With Beards, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I would say she's not come back in, <laughs> she'd kill me. No. Um, what was I telling you? Oh, yes. She said that they thought it was kind of cruel in America. And I thought, do they actually think in England that we set fire? to gay people. <laughs> you can tell them anything, can't you? Now, I'm going to do another little bit of a reading because I just want to show you the maturiosity thing. You see, I don't, I don't feel like I'm getting through to you about how I've developed. So this is a favourite thing from the new book. It's so, isn't it, don't you think it's so groovy and gold? I love it, actually. I really love it. Oh, no, I shouldn't say that, but I do. I'm saying it. I've just said it. <laughs> this is about... Um, oh, guess who it's about? I don't know. I can't find it now. <laughs> Damn! Yes, I know. It's about... You just Have you just come in? Do I have to go through the whole thing again? Well, there was this... <laughs> this is about um, hair camaya. Surprise, surprise. But in a more mature way. Double physics. Two hours of unadulterated boredom and murder. If we weigh atoms or whatever, I may eat my own head just to stop me being so bored. Oh, good. We're doing about light. The only light in all of this is Herr Kammeyer. There's something so keen about him. Why? Has he just got the keenness gene? Mostly, I think teachers come and teach because they hate us and want to make us suffer. But Herr Kammeyer likes us. He does. If I had a conscience, well, I, well, I don't know what I would do. But thankfully, I haven't. To illustrate the difference between light and dark, Herr Kammeyer had drawn the curtains and switched the lights off, which was crap because it was still light outside and the curtains were see-through. I said, Herr Kammeyer, we don't really experience dark anymore, do we? He looked at me through his rounded glasses. Ach, so, Georgia, how do you mean this? Well, because of the lights in cities and you know global thingy and everything. He said, global thingy? I said, yeah, yeah, that is what I mean. We don't know what it's like to be in the dark. He looked at me. Yeah, that is a good point. No fair is completely dark. I said, except for the photography darkroom. Let's go in there and see what it's like to be completely in the dark. Here come I said, well, I don't know if I got to my feet. Yeah, yeah, to the darkroom. <laughs> <laughs> the ace gang surged out, followed by the rest of the class. The dark room's quite small and you could probably get about five people in comfortably. When we opened the door, it was quite literally pitch black in there. Here come I, I stepped in and said, yeah, now then girls, if we go in maybe five at a time, we, at which point all 25 of us crammed into the room and I slammed the door. It was hysterical. I could hear Here come I, but I couldn't see a thing. It was just jam packed in. And we were all shrieking and yelling, where am I? 
Heck, how I was shouting. Now, that is the door, girls. Calm down. And then there'd be the crash of some glass thing. And the shrieking started again. Rosie was shouting, we're doomed, we're doomed. Is that the doorknob? Oh, uh! Etc. <laughs> etc. Et After a few minutes of this, someone found the door handle and we piled out. Hair Camayo came out last. His hair was all mussed up and his glasses were on sideways. I couldn't stop laughing. I said to him, now that is what I call dark. <laughs> so do you see how I've matured? In every single way. Just one more little bit and then I'm going to give you um, a chance to ask me some questions. So we've got a bit of time. Oh dear. Well, it's quite nice having a new book to read, actually. Right. It's break. It's bloody nippy noodles outside. Mab said, shall we work out a new disco inferno dance for Saturday's gig to warm us up? I said, mm, well, it's a bit soon after our last triumph, don't you think? Rosie said, nope, a triumph is not a triumph until you've gone too far. Jazz said, I'm freezing. To change the subject away from mad dancing that I'm now eschewing with a firm hand, I said, well, Jazz, we're all freezing. Why don't you use some of your very well-known forest skills and start a lovely campfire? I bet you've got your special fire-making stick in your rucky, haven't you? Jazz said, don't be silly. I said, I'm not being silly. I'm being frozen to within an inch of my life. Anyway, you can't do it without hunky, can you? You're frightened of fire. I am not frightened of fire. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Look at me, Jazz. I'm a flame. And I'm coming near your fringe. And I started doing ad hoc flame impro, wiggling my body image, making my arms all snaky, touching Jazz's fringe and making a whoosh, whoosh, whoosh noise. Jazz was getting quite red and there was defo a touch of tomato about her ears. Rosie Jules and the rest of the gang started snaking and shaking about, going whoosh, whoosh. Jazz finally lost her rag and said, I can make a fire. Go and get some twigs and I'll show you. Excellent. Ten minutes later, Brillo pads. Jazz actually did it. She rubbed her special little fire-making stick in a wedge thing. She did happen to have her special rubbing sticks with her in her haversack. I don't know why, but I knew she would have. She's very secretive about her rocky. I bet she has several changes of different type weight pants in there, and possibly a collection of mollusks. We may never know. At least, I may never know, because I will never be putting my hand in there. Anyway, it was really jolly sitting around our little campfire. It was made mostly out of crisp packets. To be fair, there was more smoke than flame, but we pretended we were really, really warmy warm. I said, shall we sing the old traditional campfire song, Little Ace Pallies? And they all went, yay! And I said, what is it? <laughs> then I remembered some old crap recording of Top of the Pops in the 70s that my dad had. I'd shown it to the gang. I said, let's sing Fire by that bloke who wore a helmet that was actually on fire. And when he sang on top of the pops, his helmet sat fire to the ceiling. By the way, Roro, do not mention that to Sven. He's bound to want to do it, and then it's goodbye to any club that we go to. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yes. We were just sitting around our campfire singing, Fire, I'm going to teach you to burn. Fire, I'm going to reach you to... When out of nowhere came Wet Lindsay, the octopus in the ointment, with her assistant fascist, astonishingly dim Monica. She saw us round our innocent campfire and went absolutely ballisticissimus. She was yelling, you absolute twits! Step away, step away. Monica, get Mr Atwood and tell him there's a fire in the fives court. 
20 minutes later, what a fuss and a kerfuffle. Mr Atwood practically pooed himself with delight. He's been standing by with flame retardant since MacUseless when somebody accidentally set fire to nauseating pea green. The fact that the inferno had gone out by the time he got there didn't stop him. He came leaping up and made to stand and watch from a safe distance whilst he donned his special breathing apparatus. He was shouting through the mask, there may be toxic fumes. I was yelling, it's out, Mr Atwood, but he couldn't hear me. He squirted his extinguisher thing until there was foam up to the top of his welly gogs. Quite, quite extra extraordinarily bonkers. Three minutes later, he took off his mask and looked at the huge pile of foam. He said, I've made the area safe. I'll just put radio into headquarters to say I've achieved a result safety-wise and no casualties. From his fire sack, he fished out an enormous walkie-talkie thing. Wetlands, he said, right, you lot, the headmistress is the office now. Oh, no, not slim. She frog-marched us off, chuntering on to ADM and giving me the evils every now and again. She just absolutely loves it times a million. If she can upset me, she's made up. Jazz said, oh, now I'll never get to be a prefect. This is all your fault, Georgia, again. I said, uh, I think you are the fire starter. Crazy fire starter, Jazz. <laughs> Rosie said, do you think Slim will beat us to death with her chins? <laughs> As we sloped along at one mile an hour, we could hear Mr. Howard shouting into his walkie-talkie. Z Victor 1 to be thee. Are you receiving me? Over. Astonishingly balmy. Jules said, who is he talking to? And I said, he's talking to headquarters. And you know who that is, don't you? Alan said, no, I, um, is it, um, is it, is it like, um, he headquarters or something? We just looked at her. I said, he's talking to the radio in his shed. And you know who is listening? No one. <laughs> So do you see what I'm saying? Do you see how I've come full circle into a sort of Dickensian sophisticosity now with the last book? I'm going to give you just a bit of time to ask me questions and then we'll do a bit of... So has anybody got anything they want to ask me? Like, get off. <laughs> Go and lie down in a dark room. Yes. Oh, we've got, you might have a little microphone pad. Please don't start singing in it. <laughs> was Wet Lindsay really as mean as she, um, she is in the books? Worse. I know it's mean, and I don't look really approve of being mean about people, as you can tell from my work. <laughs> I could have been a nurse, actually. I might still be one. Um, but I couldn't be bothered looking after poorly people. That's the drawback. <laughs> um, yeah, she was horrible. She really was horrible, and she didn't have a forehead. She didn't. Well, that, what's, that's just, there's something missing, isn't there? I think consciousness possibly is missing. But she just was, maybe she, she just didn't have a sense of humour, to be honest. That was a thing. And she also was going out with a sex god, which I held against her. And she hated me. She really hated me. I don't know why. <laughs> Somebody right at the back. I'll come all the way down. Have you oh. written any... <laughs> <laughs> Have you written any other books apart from the Georgia Nicholson ones? No. Did you hear what she said? Have I written any other books? I've, this is this. I'm, <laughs> it's like bloody homework. I've got nieces, and I've finished the book, and they go, "Oh, give us it, Izzy," and I give it to them, and they've read it in a now, and they say, "What happens next?" They're on the phone. What happens? I don't know what happens next. I've just finished this book, so I haven't written any more. But um, I, I would like to. Yeah. No, I haven't. It's just the ten. Ten, love. <laughs> Ten years of serving you. That's what I've done. 
Actually, it's been 10 years of really good fun, I must say. But no, that's it. Sorry, so no, I haven't. I've disappointed you, haven't I? You think I'm stupid now. You think she can only write girls' books. Should we come along a bit? Is it, have you just got the one microphone? Okay. How long have we got? minutes okay well let's just go from let's just go and leap about a bit so that everybody gets a bit of a swizz is there anybody near the front which one is your favorite book which one is my favorite oh, they're all so good I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> no I think the first one in one way because I just did not think I could write a book you know I'd never done it before and so and when I handed it in I just, I just quickly tell you how I got to write this book. Was um, I was writing for a London newspaper, and I wrote this article. It's supposed to be just a kind of, um, you know, anything that came into my head, which was really stupid on their half behalf to let me do that. But I wrote this thing. How funny and iron ironic is this? I wrote this thing about having to have my shoes surgically removed because. If you think back to the slim thing, you'll see the irony and karma in this. But I, I've got quite big feet, and when I was a teenager, I couldn't get really nice. You couldn't get nice shoes. You could get sensible lace-up shoes, but not kind of nice stilettos and strappy things. So I used to force my big fat feet into these tiny shoes, and I found these lovely silver ones, all strappy and high, and you know, with like just bits of strap across the front and all that. And I wore them, and I fell out with my boyfriend at some club, and I stormed off into the night. But I didn't have any money, so I had to walk for about five miles in these bloody shoes, crippling me. So, and when I got in, I was so tired, I just fell asleep on the sofa, fully dressed, didn't bother getting undressed at all. When I woke up in the morning, the shoes had actually cut into my feet. The straps had cut in so badly, and then the flesh of the foot had actually grown over <laughs> the straps. So you couldn't... So do you know what I said about Slim? You could, just, you could just hear my little heels clacking like that and you just see these big swirling feet. So I had to be taken to um, Charing Cross Hospital in London's casualty department. My friends had to carry me with these bloody shoes sticking out of my feet because we still couldn't afford a cab. And uh, we got there and I was like, on the table like that and the surgeon came in and he was quite cross actually because he'd got really sick people to deal with, not stupid girls. And he said, he looked at them and he just went, well, I'm going to have to cut them off. And I went... Oh, please, sir, can't you save them? And he thought I was talking about my feet. I actually meant the shoes. <laughs> so I wrote this, and it was, you know, quite amusing. And I got this um, phone call from a publisher, and she said, oh, your article did make me laugh. I wondered if you'd like to write a book. And I said, what, like, a, you know, sophisticated woman around London town, that sort of thing. And she said, no, teenage girl's diary. And I said, uh, why? And she said, because I haven't read anything so childish and self-obsessed in my entire life, I think you could really do a good job. So that's how I came to do the first one. So it was, re so it was really long-winded, but it was, I was really just thrilled that I could do it, you know. And I've liked each one differently. I I'm very fond. This was quite hard to write, because I didn't really want to let her go, if you know what I mean. I was sort of tussling with, you know, going, P.S., I'm only kidding, sort of thing. So, that, so I think I'm fond of both of the, the, those two. Is that right? Oh, should we go across the other side then? Just because I feel like I've not really included you enough here. I might get you all on stage doing a disco inferno dance in a minute, just as a finale. Go on then. She looks so you look like my niece, so you'll ha it'll have to be you, with a blue tie just here. Yeah. Um, did you want to be a young um, author when you were younger, or was there anything else that you thought of being? I, I came from quite a poor family, so I don't think 
you know, it's different now, isn't it, that people feel like they can be anything. I don't, I don't even know, I wouldn't have known that it was a proper job. I don't, it isn't a proper job, let's face it. No, it is, really. But um, I wouldn't have known what being a writer was about. My mother tells a story, though. I always did write, and I made up, uh, as I said, I lived in quite a rough estate in, in Yorkshire. In fact, when they do documentaries about the estate, they more or less say, oh, no, can't be born on this estate. <laughs> it's wabbish. But, um, so I used to do a comic when I was about four. I used to draw, you know, the people in the street and do sort of what I thought were funny jokes and things about, like a comic strip thing. And we had a really, really rough family at the end, and I did this thing about, oh, I am the thickest person in the street. And I remember my mum seeing it and just going like this, do it, because we would have all been killed if he'd read it, I think. So, no, I didn't, I didn't think, to be honest. So it just shows you, doesn't it? Anything can turn up. It's a magic world, man. <laughs> Is that... Will we time up? Oh, I'm sorry about that. I rambled on too long, and then it was the running up the flights. Oh, I feel so shamed. <laughs> oh, I don't think so, Georgia. That was just a really great hour we've had here. Just been thoroughly entertained and brilliant to get the chance to hear a bit more about Georgia Nicholson. So it's not too sad that this is the final book. So George Louise is actually <laughs> Georgia Stroke Louise is actually going to be heading over to the signing tent now. I think probably lots of you have brought books with you, and if you haven't, then we've got them all on sale in the bookshop. She's just asked for one thing. Um, I don't think we've really got time for you to take any pictures when we go over there. I won't tell you why Louise said we couldn't take any pictures. Oh, well, I'm going to tell you what happens. It's because what, it takes ages and I've got to get somewhere else so we can't do it. But the reason is, it's because, and I'm sorry to say this, the girls usually get their mums to take the picture. You have never seen anything like it. The mums are going, oh, oh, is it upside down? Is it on? Oh, I've just taken a <laughs> photograph of my head. You know, it just goes on and on and on, so I can't do it anymore. Blame your mums. So I just want to say a big thank you to all of you. You've been a brilliant yeah, thank audience. thank you very much. And a really big thank you to Louise Renison for coming along today. Thank you.